So have you ever made a bad investment? Have you ever invested in something and things uh, just went totally, totally wrong? Um, I'm amazed the number of people come to me and say, you know, I just made a really bad investment, a stupid choice. Happens all the time. Well, back in 1630, the big thing to invest in in Holland was tulips. So, so tulip bulbs had just been introduced from Turkey and they became this really sought after item. In fact, a bulb would be equivalent to an estate. And so people were selling everything they could in order to get the hold of these bulbs that were worth a fortune. But like any craze, things suddenly went bad and then everyone started selling the bulbs because they became increasingly worth less and less and less. And it serves as a warning today that you know, just because something is increasing in value very rapidly doesn't mean that it's, gonna, its value is going to last forever. And like an investment that's gone bad, the disciples have huddled together, and this is in Luke chapter 24, and they have, they're huddled together because they've invested their whole lives in Jesus. They believed in Jesus. I mean, think about this. They give up their families. They give up their jobs. They give their time. For, for three years, they had followed him. They believed that he was going to be the Messiah. They believed that he is the one that was going to overcome Rome and establish his kingdom. But after Jesus' arrest, after his torture, after his crucifixion, they now feared for their own lives because of their association with them. They were, they were filled with fear. What do they do now? They've given up everything for him. Their lives appear to be ruined. And while the stories of Jesus' resurrection were whirling around, what were they, what did they mean? It just created more confusion for them than anything. So on this evening in Luke chapter 14, that was our gospel reading today, the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples and it would be an evening that would change their lives. The disciples would undergo a series of conversions. They would convert from distrust to trust, from biblically ignorant to biblically equipped, from self-centered preoccupation to cross-cultural witness. So, so Luke 24 is a really fascinating example of, of what people must undergo to convert to the life and mission of Jesus. And it's a conversion that every uh, would-be follower of Jesus must undergo. Now, we understand the word conversion in secular society. There, there are many examples of, of, of conversion that takes place. Uh, but one that maybe some of you went through is a conversion uh, in boot camp. So if you're sent to boot camp, what happens to you? So, so boot camp is designed, boot camp in the army is designed, to convert 18-year-old citizens, in, civilians, into soldiers. That's the point of boot camp. And over several tough months, new recruits intentionally leave their old lives behind. For some of these 18-year-olds, is the first time they've ever been away from home. And now they're there. Sometimes they have to give up all communication. So it means no internet, no phone, no distractions. Their hair is cut off, and the reason it's cut off is because there isn't supposed to be any individuality. In other words, individuality means that, you know, that you can judge people and say, you know, I'm above you or whatever. So that's completely uh, gotten rid of. If you've been through boot camp, you know what it's like. From the moment that you arrive, you exist 
in neck deep terror. Terror. You're yelled at, you're screamed at, you're hurried, you're stressed. Why do they do these things? Why do they do that? Because it's the easiest way to get human beings unaccustomed to performance under stress to take action while being placed under extreme and sudden environment like conduct, uh, combat. And, and what they're doing is they're training these guys to block out any noise, fear, or stress so they can just do what they need to do. And over time, these recruits become converted into soldiers who, who gain an understanding of what they're expected to do. Important things, well beyond what other 18-year-olds would be called to do. But that's the goal of boot camp. It leads this to conversion. Now let's look at the conversion that takes place in the disciples on this evening of, uh, that Jesus appeared to them. So as disciples are gathering, they're talking together because they just heard these stories that Jesus is still alive. And, and as they're talking, he appears to them. And how do they feel about Jesus' appearance? Are they filled with joy? Are they, are they filled with excitement? Oh, the Savior's here? No, they're filled with terror. Look what, look what it says in Luke 24, 37. They were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Here is the one that they had followed for three years. Think about this. The one that they loved, the one that they knew loved them. And now they see him. What do they feel? They feel terror. Fear grips them. What's going on here? The disciples knew that Jesus had died. They had witnessed that for themselves. So there's no question of, of Jesus' death. Jesus had died. This was something that was beyond, though, their, the, the, the thought that he could possibly be resurrected was, was beyond any experience that they had. Because people don't resurrect, do they? It's not part of what they do. And so what they were seeing was beyond their worldview. They, you know, they, they, they knew that Jesus died. People don't resurrect, and so they can't grasp what's, what's before them. They can't imagine what Jesus, that Jesus is resurrected. And so their limited worldview led them to conclude the only possible thing that they could, that what they saw before them was a ghost of Jesus. It's the only thing that made sense to them. Jesus must be a ghost. And I wonder, you know, looking at this passage, I wonder what barriers we put up. What are the barriers that we put up that blind us from seeing Jesus for as he actually is? I mean, people make all sort of conclusions, and these conclusions, rather than opening their eyes, actually blind them from seeing the truth. So people outside of the church say, well, I don't see Jesus, therefore Jesus doesn't exist. They make those conclusions. Their worldview blinds them from seeing that, that Jesus is actually there, giving them grace, preserving and protecting their lives, but they can't see it because their worldview blinds them from the truth. But professing Christians also create barriers. We create barriers by some of the things that we believe. Some Christians believe so strongly in the sovereignty of God that God becomes unpredictable. They can't trust God's promises to love them, to heal them, or forgive them. 
And you can recognize these people because they pray, Lord, if you will. Because there's no confidence in, in the promises of God. Or there are Christians that, that, um, that believe so strongly in their own individuality that they say, well, they don't need the church. I don't need the church. The church is just corrupt religion. But in the process, they blind themselves from seeing the body of Christ on the earth that is gathered in the, in the, in the church when we gather together as this community. Some Christians conclude that because their circumstances are so hard, God must not love them. And so they blind themselves to the fact that, that Jesus is there moment by moment, carrying them through their difficulties. The ancient Israelites got themselves in trouble when they made wrong conclusions about God. Do you remember when Moses was called up to Mount Sinai? and Well, he was gone for too long. And so the people concluded, well, something must have happened to this guy. He's not coming back. And so they said to Aaron, 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 please make for us um, an image of God. And so Aaron constructed an image of a calf. And then they said, this is our God who brought us out of Egypt. Their immediate circumstances blind them from seeing the reality that God had called them out of all the peoples of the earth to represent him here. What constructs do you have about God that blind you from seeing who he really is? Jesus' reaction to the fear of the disciples is truly remarkable. You know, he doesn't yell at them like a drill sergeant. He doesn't say to them, why don't you understand? He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. Rather, he's so gentle. I mean, so, so he shows them the, his wounds on his hands. He shows them the, 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 the scars on his feet. He allows them to touch him because he wants them to realize that what they're seeing is not a ghost but a physical body. That Jesus is a human being with a physical body just like them but in a resurrected body. He is resurrected fully and completely and then, then he asks for something to eat because he wants them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he, is, that he is there, that he is the Jesus that they always knew. And he eats in front of them. And he does these things in order that their eyes might be opened, in order that they might see what, what at first they couldn't see. And in the process, a conversion takes place, a conversion that takes place amongst the disciples from distrust to trust, that they can trust that this is the Jesus that they always have followed up to this point. You have to trust Jesus because without trust, there is no relationship. Do you trust Jesus? That's the foundation of being a disciple. Do you trust Jesus? Even as Jesus is building trust with his disciples, though, he realizes that his disciples are still perplexed. They're perplexed. They're confused. From their perspective, his rejection and crucifixion rendered him incapable of being the Messiah. He couldn't possibly be the Messiah because look what happened to him. 
Yes, this might be the Jesus they always knew, but who is this guy now? Who is this guy? We thought we knew, okay, he's resurrected from the dead, but, but who is he? And at this point, Jesus shows them the scriptures. And he opens the scriptures up to them. And he shows them through the scriptures that the, the, the Christ, the Messiah, must have died. The, the Messiah must die. And the Messiah must rise from the dead. And he shows them this in scriptures. Now, when the, when the, old, when the, um, when the uh, apostles are, are shown the scriptures in here, we're talking about the Old Testament. So, he's, so when we talk about them, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible, the law of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets were the things that, uh, in particular, that he would have shown them. And as Jesus opens the scriptures to, to the disciples, another conversion begins to take place. From biblically ignorant to biblically equipped, another conversion takes place. Now, we don't know which scriptures Jesus might have used that day. But to describe his death, one of the best prophecies uh, comes from Psalm 22. Prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus, it describes characteristics of his death that are then confirmed in the New Testament. And so we can look at this, uh, this passage right now. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 22, verse 16 through 18. And here we find several things. That his hands and feet would be pierced. That's what Psalm 22 says. That his bones would not be broken. And that men would cast lots for his clothing. And the clearest and perhaps best prophecy for Christ's resurrection is found in, in Psalm 16.10. And, and there we read, For you will not abandon my soul to shield, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now Peter will later quote Psalm 16 on the day of Pentecost, when he appears before the, the Jews, telling them that, yes, the Christ would rise from the dead. He undoubtedly remembered that night when, when Jesus had appeared to them and, and Jesus illuminated this passage to him. It wasn't that the disciples had never heard these scriptures before, but now in their hearing, there's understanding. Jesus had opened the scriptures to them so that Peter was able to preach with authority on the day of Pentecost. Jesus wants his followers to know the scriptures. He wants them to know them because within those we understand who Jesus is. Both the Old and the New Testament, we learn about who Jesus is. And so that we have a personal experience of, of who he is. Now, sometimes I'm really amazed at what people think or, or say about Jesus. You know, oftentimes people have concoctions of Jesus that they piece together from different sermons and they say, okay, this is who Jesus is. Now, why would this be? Why would people have these various views of God that they've kind of puzzled together? Because they don't regularly read scripture. Because they don't read scripture. So in the U.S., about nine in ten households have a Bible in their home. I'm sure every one of you have a Bible in your home. In fact, of the people that have Bibles in their home, they have at least three Bibles in their home. Um, so that's a lot. That's a lot of Bibles that are out there. 
Now, how many, how, what percent do you think of people have actually read the Bible all the way through from the beginning to the end at least once? 20% of those that owned a Bible, 20% have read the Bible at least once through. 53% know very little about the Bible. So of those that have Bibles, 1 in 10 have read none of it. So it's just something that they put on their, their bookcase. 13% have read a few sentences. And 30% say they've read several passages and stories from, the, from that. Now what this means is that most people are making decisions about Jesus without any personal study or reflection. It's just things that they've heard on the street, whatever that might be. One of the primary ways, though, that God speaks to us is, is reading his, is, is his word. You know, the Bible isn't like another book. It's not like something that, okay, I've, I've read it. it. It's actually something that is living. It's a living word that when we read it, 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 it pierces us, not just in our minds, but in our spirits. It speaks to us deeply within our spirits. Just as the disciples, though, had to be converted into biblically equipped disciples, therefore we have to be as well. We have to be. If we're not, then we just can easily be just led by the wind, whatever, whatever the latest thing people are saying about Jesus is. We have to know for ourselves so that we can stand firm in what we believe. We have to be converted. We have to be converted into biblically equipped Christians. Now, after Jesus has opened the eyes of the disciples to the scriptures, he leads them on to a third conversion. And it begins in verse 48 when Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. You're witnesses of these things. In Jesus' words, we find the primary mission of all disciples of Jesus. We witness. We witness. We witness to the world. And as his witnesses, the disciples were to proclaim two primary messages. And he gives them here. First, they must proclaim Jesus and what he did. Jesus and what he did. You know, apart from Jesus, there is no good news. Jesus is the good news. And so the person of Jesus and what he accomplished is, is the centerpiece. It is the heart of what the gospel is all about. In fact, if you could say one word that is the gospel, it's Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the apostle Peter said, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So scripture is very clear here. Scripture is very clear that Jesus is the hope of humanity. And there is no hope apart from him. The second message the disciples were to testify is this. That through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is now available through repentance. You know, before Jesus, humanity was lost. There was no hope of reconciliation to God. There was nothing humanity could do in order to be reconciled to God. Humanity was lost, completely lost. But in Christ, forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God become possible. How? Through repentance. Through repentance is the acknowledgement that, you know, I've been walking a certain way and I've been walking the wrong way. And it's time to stop and to turn around 
and to follow a new way, to follow and put my trust in Jesus and to follow the path that he leads me on. Now, what is astounding about this message is that it is to be proclaimed, Jesus says, to all nations. This is a message to all the world. It's a global message meant for every human being. It's not a white gospel. It's not a black gospel. It's not a Hispanic gospel. It's not an Asian gospel. Nor is it an American gospel or a French gospel or a Mexican gospel or a Chinese gospel. It's a gospel for everyone, for all people everywhere. As Jesus calls his disciples to the nations, they are being converted from self-centered preoccupation of their own worries into cross-cultural witnesses to the world. In their encounter that day, the disciples underwent a complete conversion to the resurrected Jesus and his mission. From distrust to trust. From biblically ignorant to biblically equipped. From self-centered preoccupation into global witnesses. And this illustrates an important aspect of discipleship. The truth is, most of us will not have a single conversion that happens in one day. But the Christian life is filled with a series of conversions. We are constantly being converted to the ways of God. We are constantly being converted in, into the mission of Jesus. Day by day, day by day, he's leading us. Every day presents us with an opportunity to be converted in our thinking, in our priorities, and in our commitments. And the sign that, that, the, that the disciples had indeed underwent this in, these incredible series of conversions takes place a few verses later in verse 52 of chapter 24, where Luke writes, and they worshiped him. You see, worship is the ultimate expression of our conversion. You can't worship unless you, you truly trust. You can't worship unless you truly believe. You can't worship unless you truly understand your mission in the world. Disciples of Jesus, in the end, are worshipers of him. We were created to worship him. But our hardness of heart means that we must be converted each day. Let's pray.